Welcome to Into Theology. We have been meeting weekly, and this is the next <laughs> week's podcast. When is the last time you and I actually did a podcast? Like probably April? May. May. I don't, I don't actually know, but probably May because I did one with Ryan like five weeks ago, and then we're like, "Oh, we'll just meet next week." Meet next week, and it yeah. didn't happen. It's. Uh, I'll say, man, I, I appreciate your patience with me, though. Like for for those who are listening, I won't get into all the details, but my dad died in April. Uh, my mom had to go into long-term care uh, around then too, and uh, so I'm I'm now back up in Canada right now, just dealing with all kinds of stuff here. It's just been crazy, so I just haven't been able to um, jump in on this. But super thankful for for Ryan hopping in. Ryan Hurd, um, obviously a much more intelligent, um, uh, better podcast. co-host. Actually, probably, I don't... probably not as as funny and certainly not as good looking as me. No, um, nevertheless, I'm, I'm glad. And I was like, I totally had FOMO the whole time, you guys. I was listening to it and I was like, oh, I wish I was in this. So hopefully we can get Ryan back on the podcast and and uh, and do some more some more Thomas. But I'm 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 excited to get back into it. Uh the only problem with Thomas is that he doesn't believe that the Bible has authority for all people. <laughs> so I don't know if we, I don't know if we can continue. I feel I feel like this is like some bad joke that we just make all the time. <laughs> You know, but we've the same joke every to, week. People keep saying it, and you're just like, "Have we not made fun of you enough to know that like this this just needs to stop?" Yeah, I. It is. Some people think that Thomas existed after the Protestant Reformation, um, uh, and it shows. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we're well. I mean, but think about it. it's interesting, right? Like thinking yeah. given given the topic that we're going to be talking about today, we're going to talk about um the simplicity, simplicity. of God. Question, yeah. question three. From our Peter Kreef version, so page seventy-three. Um, but it is weird, right? That like what 100, 150 years of 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 Protestant and Reformed works in theology and doctrine of God, nobody really talks about divine, divine simplicity, and now it's like all anybody can talk about. Right, it's just weird how that works with theology, right? Whereas like something very fundamental can just be forgotten. I, you tweeted recently about um, how is it that people just cannot understand, like, what was it? Was it a uh, unified operations or something like right, that? Right. Like, inseparable, you know, yeah. Inseparable operations. And it's like, it's, it's another one of these things that everybody's talking about now. Nobody right. was talking about it. Even like for us, it's like none of us were talking about it 10 years ago. And now it's all the rage. And Thomas Aquinas is the big guy and all this stuff. It's just, Everything is fads and trends, it seems like. It's just, why can't we just do theology? You know, it's funny you just said that. I've been thinking about this lately. This might be a this might be a too like pious of a thought, but um, I'm you sorry, I'll get more pious? I'll get more inane and uh and, and silly soon. But uh, you know, life is crazy with ups and downs and it's hard. Tell me everything. You know for sure. Um and uh it's so easy to like get locked into all these other important things that are truly important but then if god is who we think he is theology is simply trying to listen to him really carefully so that you can know him and it's like yeah. if god is truly our creator our heavenly father and our goal is to return to him it really does make a lot of sense to spend time maybe not you don't have to be an academic it's not my point but just thinking carefully about what god has to say to us it's maybe more important than we think, and but it's a bit of an uphill battle because you use words like inseparable operations. 
you know, but like 1600 years ago, that was just a normal talk. It was just everyday kind of speech ish. And all, and all I was just saying is, look, when the father acts or the son acts, if you read John 10, John 14, you already know this or John yeah. 14 in particular. Uh, and John five, maybe John five is more straightforwardly. So you just know this, whatever the father does, the son does too, or the son does, the father does too. And the point is that they both are divine. Like that's it. Yeah. And it really helps you to think through who God is. And yeah, it's just something you kind of forget, even though that's the main, one of the main arguments for why the son is included in the definition of God. Then divine simplicity is like, well, it's why God, hero Israel are the Lord of God. The Lord of God is one. Why is he one? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, what does it even mean? Uh, I am who I am, he says in Exodus 2. Like, who, who is this one God? And part of the, like, not the whole answer, but part of the answer is he, he must be simple, which means he's not, he's not composed of all the sorts of things that you and I are composed of. He doesn't no. have chin hair plus a nose, you know? <laughs> he doesn't have eye, you know, plus a fingernail. You, I think you're quoting Thomas there, right? On uh, for, on the first article. <laughs> uh, he actually does talk about body parts. That one, I, I don't know if I'm actually quoting him. No, obviously. Okay. <laughs> like, maybe I was. He doesn't quite talk as uh, eloquently as I do. But I think it's just really important to, to do theology because if God is who he is, yeah, it's not economically good for you per se. It's, it doesn't really make as much sense, but it's good. You know, um, as the great philosophical thinker of our age recently said, Andrew Tate, that uh, reading books, uh, he has profane language I won't quote, but reading books is for stupid people. That makes um, sense. And um, maybe, but God revealed himself in a book, and I've thought that God is a smart. <laughs> yeah. So maybe there's something to the book. That isn't it's crazy that he's like a Muslim now and he's like reading books. Is is he? Yeah, he converted. But then he thinks reading books is stupid because you, you do have holy books, anyways. Oh, the Quran. Yeah. Um don't pay Quran. attention to this guy. What an idiot. So one of the things I want to say about the simplicity thing is it, it's interesting, it's the third question in his summa. But part of the reason he's doing this is because the genre of doing science at his time said that you first need to establish a subject exists, what he's what he's already done, and yep. then explain how it exists. And so he's kind of explained how God exists, as it were. Like he's yep. moving into this. So it's not so much, um, it's just the or, it's just the standard order. It's like if you write an essay, you have like an introduction paragraph, and then a thesis statement, and then supporting points and a conclusion. So the order that he's giving theology is just an order of how people organize thinking in, in his time. Yep. So it, it just, I think it helps to explain because you're like, why would simplicity be front loaded? Because simplicity is a little more of a philosophical doctrine rather than it being like a Bible verse doctrine, like the earlier questions were like on the you know existence for God or um, the science of theology. But I think it's important to note that he's just, he's just doing what's the obvious thing to do for a field of learning. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's given these proofs, the five ways. Uh, in the second question, and now he's in the third, and he tells us right off the bat in the very opening section, like he's he's basically saying, listen, I've shown you that he exists. Now I'm going to tell you what this existing being is as best we can, right? So he says, when the existence of a thing has been ascertained, there remains the further question of the manner of its existence in order that we may know its essence. And so he's basically saying, okay, I've given you the five ways. Here, here's here's why we believe that this exists as part of this whole science of theology. And now he's going to tell you what this existence is. 
the right. manner of existence. And he's going to say, to get at its essence, right? Like we want to know, we want to know the causes of things in order to know the thing itself. Um, but he's like, but we got a problem, boys. Next section now, because we cannot know what God is, but rather than what he's not, uh, we have no means for considering how God is, but rather how he's not. And so simplicity is then setting the stage for, you know, what you might refer to as the negative names and then the positive names and things like that of God or his attributes. Um, and, and this whole idea of like, okay, so we're, 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 we're showing that he exists. Now we're going to start talking about his actual nature. Um, but guess what? We can't actually speak directly to it. And so simplicity, he starts off with simplicity here because that's like the way in, in a way, um, you know, it, he's going it, to, it's, it's, it's a negative name in that it's, it's means that he's not composed. He's uncomposed, not made up of parts. So that's why it's negative. And uh, some, something that's a simple, simple being has no parts. And it, and it's, and it, we t- sometimes, and that's why I think in the first article, he jumps right into whether or not God has a body. Um, but simplicity is more than just like, okay, God doesn't have a body. That's why you know, he doesn't have parts because he doesn't have a body. It's like, he's not a composite of anything. Like there's no composition of God whatsoever. Um, even in relation to things like essence and existence, there's no, com- there's no composition of form and matter in God. Uh, he has, there's no matter, there's just pure form and things like that. So it's like, you can see like why this particular question has to be front loaded in order then to really kind of like make sense. It's, of it's really the first question you can ask, yeah. like what, what's God made up of is really the first yeah. question you can ask. Like what is a human? Yeah. You think, okay, well, it's like flesh, blood, soul, whatever. Yeah. Cars, metal and pistons. And you know, it's just like, what, okay. So what is the stuff that God is You really got to ask that question. And the answer is, is not really any stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that so is how can you speak of him? Well, you have to speak yeah. of him in this negative way or in an indirect way or something. And now there'll be later theologians, uh, reform guys who will distinguish between how God knows himself, archetypal theology, how God is known by us, ectypal theology. And there's this idea of analogical knowledge and so on. But but everyone agrees. Uh, just for example, uh, Gregory of Nyssa says, the, uh, what is it? No, Gregory of Nazianzus says the first thing you need to know about theology is you can't name God. Yeah. Now, he doesn't mean biblical names. His point by name in that context, he means know exactly what God is and fully express him in like a word. And that's why the Bible reveals God in so many different words and images and pictures and names, because God is so immense that we can only know him in part by part by part. And we grow in that knowledge. And as we grow in that knowledge, we move from one level of glory to another as we, you know, 2 Corinthians 3, look on the face of of, of God in Christ. So, um that's important. I'm glad you read that, by the way, because we were so out of practice. We forgot that you're supposed to read a portion of uh, oh, yeah. of what we're supposed to do. So let's jump into the first I knew question. What I was doing. You know what you're doing. Yeah, you, you got it. So whether God is a body. Now, this is a really weird and interesting question because I'll be careful because uh, so someone I know. Someone recently argued, not you, argued, you know, God has a body. And I'm like, well, Somebody man. argued this recently. Yeah, I don't. I won't say too much because it's someone I know. Tell me after. Yeah, and it's like, okay, and then, but like, no theologians, you know, no one believes this in history. Blah blah blah. Yeah, Manichaeans believe it. Well, yeah, sorry, (laughs) no Orthodox. No Orthodox. And there's or the anthropomorphitisms persons, whatever that word is. Yeah, anthropomorph. And um, morphites, I guess. Anthropomorphites, yeah. Yeah, And, and then part of the conversation, I remember, went something like this where. 
Well, you don't actually know what people believe because all we have are the writings of the elites. So what do the actual people, Christians believe? Oh. You're like, I just remember being so like, I don't even know, like, what's, what's happening? <laughs> what world do we live in right now? And then, yeah, I mean, but I kind of get it because the Bible does describe God in like even Thomas quotes, I think Kings where God has dimensions. So he's heights and, and depths and width and so on. So if he has these, is he not some sort of body? And, you know, it's not just like ours, but is there some sort of thing to contain him? Tertullian in um, Ad Praxian and also in um, De Anima set, uh, speaks of God having a body. But to clarify, uh, Tertullian always believed God, God has a spiritual body that is does not correspond to a material body. But he uses that language to describe this, the the uh, the soul for ex the soul actually in Danemia and then also God in Epraxian. So so there's a sense in which you can kind of see even an intelligent person maybe kind of think of God having some sort of spiritual body. Yeah. And yet, ver except for him, I mean, after him, everyone's like, "Nah, dude, that's that's off." Um, and especially Augustine and others will begin to say, "Oh." seeing like when you think of god as having a literal body of like flesh and blood or something it's, it's you know i don't think augustine says this way but i'll say it this way it's it's almost like you're just thinking of like the pagan gods yeah like zeus which is exactly what the uh, apologists beside and before tertullian argued they're like if you think that our god is is passable has flesh and blood and bones like zeus and hercules have like that's not the god of the bible yeah. and so simplicity or in this case, impassibility, which is actually very close to simplicity, is, is a way to say God is not like the pagan gods of this world. He's something completely different. So, I mean, it's a live issue that I think people um, do sometimes think, well, maybe God does have a body. I mean, I, I remember talking to somebody, again, I won't name names, but a mutual friend of ours, and this is a long time ago, um, like 20 years ago. And I can remember uh, somebody who I had trusted theologically and whatnot had argued back uh, based upon the fact that humans are made in the image of God. And because of, because of that's how we're made, uh, therefore God must have a body because humans have bodies and we're made in his image. And I was like, Whoa, no, that's not good. <laughs> you know? Actually. And the crazy part is that um, people are not saying that bluntly, but that's sort of the new image of God theology stuff today is really pushing for embodiment stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, uh, I think that's very worrisome, but I don't want to get into that here. But yeah, we'll get into it because it's yeah. going to come up right in the in, in the in the summa. But I mean, yeah, the other group that we want to think of uh, today would be Mormons. Mormons believe that oh, yeah. God has a body. Good point. And, and, and and what what Thomas does when he's an, when he does his um, I answer that um, on page seventy five uh, yep. to the question of whether or not God has a body. Um, what he argues here in my mind is like, is, is one of the best places to go to refute Mormon theology or LDS theology. I, I've done this with, with Mormons when during COVID they were very aggressive on Facebook. And uh, so I get into these, I was actually like zooming with these Mormon kids, elders. And, uh, and I, I basically kind of was using what Thomas was doing here. I'm like, the universe can't exist if your theology of God is true. Mm -hmm. I'm like, because why? He says, I answer that. Is that true that God is not a body? And this can be shown in three ways. First, because no body is in motion unless it be put in motion, as is evident from, uh, from induction. induction. Right uh, Now it has already been proved that God is the first mover and is himself unmoved. Therefore, it's clear God's not a body. 
for, for God to be the first mover, nothing can move him. And it's things that have bodies that are put in motion. And so he's like, you can't, you can't, you can't have a body if he's the first mover. Um, you can't have, like, in my mind, that's what I said to these, these Mormons. I'm like, you can't have like a universe. You can't have a first uncaused cause on your view. Like, how does God bring the universe into being? They basically have a view of like an infinite regress of, of gods, which again is absurd, but like, that's almost a denial, like essentially a denial of, of uh, ex- uh, creation from nothing. Yeah. They don't have a creation of, from nothing. Yeah. They, uh-huh. they basically believe the universe is eternal. And that there's no such thing as spirit. It's all, it's like a refined That's, matter. So Tertullian has a whole book on, I think, uh, against Homogenes, I think is his name, who basically has this view of eternal matter and creation ex- from nothing, or ex nihilo is the fancy word. It's like, that's a pretty central teaching of Christianity that yeah. there's nothing so before God. He's yet. Um, and I mean, Genesis 1, I think. But by the way, uh, I want you to keep reading, but I should also know his, on the contrary, begins with a citation of John 4.24. Yeah, God is spirit. Yeah, I just want to note that because it, it, he he says, okay, so, author, so authority, because remember, we have to go back to the early chapters. Authority says God is spirit. So boom, he has no body. Yeah. But it's actually a re, because Jesus doesn't explain why, you know, you know, he just says, it, here are the, here's why it makes sense. So what he's doing is yeah. making sense. It's this kind of doing theology. Yeah, he's just using reason. And it's like, there's not, you don't have to, you can pull text, obviously, from scripture. And then that's what he's doing and is on the contrary uh, as his authority. But then he's showing, this is why this is actually reasonable to believe this of God too, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, here, here here you have like pagan philosophers like Aristotle basically telling us the same thing. Because reason can tell you this and it's, it makes most sense. All right. So in the second one, he says it was for three ways that, to show that God's not got a body or not a body. Um, so the second one gets all funky with this like weird Aristotelian language here. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you to unpack it so I don't have oh to. Oh, boy. Uh, but secondly, because the first being must of necessity be in act and is in no way in potentiality for although in any single thing that passes from potentiality to actuality, the potentiality is prior in time to the actuality. Nevertheless, absolutely speaking, actual actuality is prior to potentiality for whatever is in potentiality can be reduced into actuality only by some being in actuality. Now, it has been already proved that God is the first being it is therefore impossible that in God there should be any potentiality. But every body is in potentiality because the continuous as such is divisible to infinity. It is therefore impossible that God should be a body. So he's arguing basically on in terms of the two types of ways that like act and potency relate to each other in terms of priority uh, in time and then priority in terms of what's doing the moving or the, something has to be an act in order to make something that's potential become yeah. an act. But and I what think, is act? What is act? What is potency? Yeah. Like what is all this? Mean? I think probably the easiest way, like, so potency is just power, the ability, the capacity to do something and act is just doing it. So all of us have the ability to like jump but we don't jump unless we choose to do so. So we might say our our mind is is prior to our the power to jump and we jump. But the, the point, I think it is a bit complicated the language is using, but uh, I think the straightforward way to put it is um, God has always been fully doing what he's doing. He didn't just become good one day or choose yeah. to be good one day or choose to do something. He's always who he's always been he's always acting as he is he always um so you might say he has uh what's the language that's used it's like active it's not it's active potency (laughs) 
right. not passive potency. It's yeah. God yeah. is always who he is and he's never not who he is. He always yeah. does what he is and he never doesn't do what he is. Whereas humans, like I could like the Bible says in Psalm 119, I believe verse 68, God is good and does good. Or I think it's Psalm 145 that goes on and explain that God does good to everyone. So, so why does God do good? It's because he's good. Yeah. Yeah. And God, that's the same thing. Yeah. Everything's uh, one. There's no distinction. But for you and me, uh, those are two different acts, you know, <laughs> like yeah. we have the p- power to be good, but we have to actually choose and follow through with it. And sometimes yeah, it we choose evil. Yeah. It has to be actualized in us. Right. Sometimes we fail to actualize the capacity for good. And we, in fact, uh, not only fail to actualize it, we pervert it or corrupt it. So I think what's being simply put here is that uh, God is always an act. So he can't be a body, which can be both an act and not an act. Yeah. Um, and then the third uh, is is kind of like, it, it sounds a little like perfect being uh, theology, maybe. Um, but the idea is that, uh, yeah, God, God is the most noble or perfect of beings. Uh, now it is impossible for a body to be the most noble of beings for a body must either animate, uh, be either animate or an- inanimate and an animate body is manifestly noble, nobler than any inanimate body, but an inanimate, sorry, but an animate body is not animate precisely as body. Otherwise all bodies would be animate. Therefore its animation depends upon some other thing as our body depends for its animation on the soul. Hence, that by which a body becomes animated must be nobler than the body. Therefore, it is impossible that God should be the body because he's the most noble or he's the most perfect of beings. And so if he's the highest degree of perfection, it just means he can't have a body. Um, because... Yeah, and I think this one's easier to understand if you think everyone says mind over matter. Uh, if you feel like you're tired, you can push through it. And the point yep. is that you have something inside of you that can overpower your tiredness or your laziness or whatever it is. And what he's getting at, that's more noble. And he's not saying like the body's bad. He's just saying because you can be tired and pushed through it by soul, by by choosing to do it. Yeah. You can, like David Goggins does every day on the grind. Um, <laughs> because you can do that, there's obviously something more noble. Something has a higher, that's has more authority. It's prior to, but that's part of what it means to be a composite being. And God's not that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's it's like, it's like making a comparison between like, a human, a dog, and a rock. You know, yeah. the rock. The rock is a body, but it doesn't have any kind of soul. Nothing that you know acts upon it that way. Um, the dog has the soul, so it's it's got a it's got a sensible soul, not a rational soul. But a nevertheless, wolf soul, a wolf soul, and so it's better because it's it's better than being a rock because something animates it. Nobody Humans has a end. few people have a pet rock. Most people have a pet dog. <laughs> right, um, but like you know, then the human soul higher degree of of soul is a rational soul than the dogs. Um, but all of this is this, so there's like these gradations and then to have the highest though would require it for, to not have a body and uh, just to be kind of like pure soulishness or something immaterial. And, uh, and so therefore, because God's perfect, he's the most noble. It just means that he does, he can't have a body uh, because that would mean it would be something lesser than so then he goes to this whole list of these uh, different kinds of compositions, matter and form. Matter yep. is the stuff. The form is the shape of the stuff. I mean, it's actually not quite that simple, but for the purpose of I have to leave in like six minutes. <laughs> Let's just make it that simple. Uh, 
is this, uh, you know, God is the same. There's a couple things I want to note. So essence and existence are the same in God, but for us, it's they're distinct. It's pretty important for, for Thomas. That's the fourth article on page yeah, 78, 79. Yeah. Uh, he, is, he is his own existence. He doesn't look outside of himself. Right. Like we do. we look to him for our existence. That's why I have an essence as a human being, but my existence is not dependent upon me. Um, I'm contingent because God is not contingent. He's a necessary being. He therefore has to be his own existence. It wouldn't be nonsense if he, if he, if he was a necessary being and had to look outside of himself for his own existence. Because he's always been, his essence and his existence have to be the same thing. And that's why all creatures participate in God in the yeah. sense of we exist, but we're not existence itself. God yeah. gives Fundamental us existence. is our existence. It's, it's the bedrock. It's our, our being. Um, but it, again, it's contingent being. And it's weird because it's like the first thing that the intellect knows is the existence of a thing. Right. Uh, it's being. And, um, and maybe like the simple way to put it, because some of this language is old fashioned is to say like all creatures rely on God. So participation, all that kind of language sounds fancy, but in essence, it's saying because God is existence itself, he gives us existence. So yeah. it's all derived from him. We're not autonomous uh, islands on our own, but all of us owe something, all owe our, our, our very life to God. Yeah, and sure, uh, sure. it's just more philosophical language and more common back then to talk like that. Whereas today, maybe we don't. Yeah. Um the form and matter, I should, just a really kind of just bizarrely nerdy thing. The form and matter thing is interesting because I think it's Carl Rauner who talks about God, the word being the quasi formal cause of the flesh of Christ. Oh, really fascinating. Okay. Um, we don't need to get into that. I just thought it was nerdy and I should bring it up. Um, is God altogether simple? The primary matter thing actually at the very end is kind of what we were talking about earlier. So primary, primary matter could be just stuff that's you know before um it's it is funny right like when we when we you know in the modern kind of like cool kid discussions about divine simplicity yeah. it seems like everybody goes to the seventh article um number on page 83 as like here here's here's what simplicity is and then just kind of leaves it at that which i mean it's obviously important um the whole idea that like you know god being altogether simple why because he's not made of parts he's not made up of anything he's not composed um, but you can see from the whole of question three and all the various articles involved in it, that it's more than just the fact that he doesn't have any kind of like parts to him, um, that he's altogether simple. It's, it's more than that. Like God doesn't, as he says in the sixth article, he doesn't have any accidents, not that God doesn't trip and fall as accidents. There are these qualities that attach to essences, um, that can change that are, that are expressed. Short hair that becomes long hair. Yeah. Like the accidental, I was illustrated with a ball. It's like, you know, if you have a ball, it's the, the, what makes it the ball is that it's round. Uh, that's it's an, an essential property of the ball. Um, it could be blue, green, or red. Uh, if you change the color, it doesn't stop being a ball. If you start to cut the ball and make it into a square, it's no longer a ball, it's a square. Um, but you change the color. Um, all you're doing is changing an accident. Uh, the blue, the red, or the green are all accidental properties that can change that doesn't affect the essence. But God doesn't even have accidents. He's no. just, he, he is being itself, Ipsum, say. I actually think the eighth article 
at the very end is really important because this is relevant today. Like, does God enter into the composition of other things? And you might say, like, does God come into the world that we live in and uh, just attach himself to things and, and respond to things and change with things? But that can't be true if he's simple. Yeah, that is not possible. Um, yeah, this is where this is where he has a go at this guy, uh, David of Denant. Poor David um, of Denant. He got he got lit up in the Middle Ages. Um, but yeah, uh, this is where you get Thomas is being most insulting. This is always like one of my favorite parts. Although it's like he just said he has an absurd view. <laughs> That's yeah, literally his insult. Most absurdly. <laughs> it's his who most absurdly taught that God was primary matter. That God himself was the prime matter. Yeah. Calm uh, down, Thomas. Yeah, he's like you could just see he's like frothing at the mouth, just fuming right now. Um, I think that's pretty important because I think a lot of us, a lot of theology, a lot of people kind of talk as if God is reliant upon us to be who He is, and we kind of like fill Him up, and it's like, well, that's not true. I mean, God is life itself; He's the fullness of overabundance life, and uh, we exist because He is life itself. It's not the, it's not because He needs us to fill Him up. It's because he's good and does good. I, I think that Bible verse is really important. He's good and does good. That's just who he is. Yeah. He doesn't need to become good and we don't make him better. Uh, I have to go. <laughs> Should we leave the end here? <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>